everyone. You may be seated. Um, we're going to get started here in a second in the sermon. Uh, before I do, I want to say a quick word to the guests. Hey, if you're visiting today, we really are glad that you've decided to join us. I actually would love to get a chance to meet you. Uh, my name is Fias. I'm the lead pastor here at North Florida. I'll be down somewhere in this area. I would love to meet you down front afterwards if you're visiting today, uh, just to at least get to say hey and thank you for visiting. And then two quick announcements for everyone of the things that we have going on as a church. Um, Wednesday evenings here, we meet here at 6 o'clock. Um, we're canvassing this, the neighborhood right over here, our making community, our neighbors. We're asking them questions about how we can serve them and how we can pray for them. And guys, it's been awesome the last couple weeks, uh, but we're going to be doing that until we finish the whole neighborhood, which should be through the end of October or in, until we're done if we finish sooner. So we're still doing that on Wednesday evenings. And then the last one is something I'm also really excited about. Um, this next Sunday night at 5.30, uh, Logan George, uh, our youth pastor, we're actually going to be ordaining him on Sunday night at 5.30. For those of you who don't know what that is, that means uh, we've been spending time with Logan, having conversations with Logan, and we believe that he's called and qualified to be a pastor. And so uh, we're going to be having all the, we've been having those convos, and we're going to finish that Sunday night here at 5.30. Now, normally we have a party. Normally it's like, hey, we come, we have a little service, we sing some songs, we hear a little bit from the we pray for Logan. Then we would go party. We would have food and hang out, and it'd be a celebration. But COVID happened, and so uh, we're not going to get to have food. Sorry, you guys. I know we're Baptist, and food is like a staple. But we still want to show up here next Sunday night, encourage Logan, pray for him. Um, it's a great chance just to kind of come up and just, you know, tell him the things that you've seen God do in and through him. I'd encourage you, since we can't have a party, give him a gift card for him and his wife to go on a date or something like that. But this is a, a big chance for us to encourage and hopefully in the future launch a young guy um, in, into the ministry as a pastor. So this is, I don't know the last time we did this here, but it's an awesome thing. So we should be excited about that. Okay. Uh, now this morning we're going to be in a passage that speaks about worry and anxiety. Can't think of something, anything better than what we've been experience, experiencing as a community for the last eight months. We've been dealing with with COVID, and even as I thought through that, and I thought about all the reasons we have to have anxiety and worry, I thought about how far we've come in eight months. Like, for example, do you remember how much you washed your hands when COVID first came up? Listen, if you would have seen Logan in our offices, he was washing every 30 seconds like he was a surgeon getting ready to go into surgery. Like every time he'd be talking, he's over there just scrubbing his hands down. Or do you remember the great toilet paper run of 2020? Uh, we were not sure. Some of you had no problem at all. Others of us were starting to get nervous. We were saying, listen, I'm not that far away from this being a real serious issue for me and my family. Right? Some of you have plenty of toilet paper still stocked up in your closets, and we're all mad at you for that. Uh, but, but I'm kind of curious. When we talk about worry and, and anxiety, I wonder how many of you this week, how many of you this week felt yourself struggle with worry and anxiety? Anybody want to raise their hand? All right. Awesome. Good. I, t 15 of us are honest in here. I'm grateful about that. Like, listen, I, I believe that worry and anxiety is a, a very normal part. Um, for those of you who are online, I'm, I'm sure that you've struggled with worry and anxiety. That's what we all do. And, and this sermon, this week, I, when I think about all the things I stress over and all of us stress over, we work over, stress over work and money and finances and retirement and relationships and family and elections and kids, you name it, whatever it is, we have anxiety over it, right? It, it's like we can almost, it's like a normal part of adulthood. And to top it, all, top it all off right now, our country is in a pressure cooker 
for stress and anxiety. We have a ton going on. And listen, as we get ready to get into this, I believe that this passage has some serious truth for almost all of us in this room. For all of us watching online, I believe that Jesus has important truths for us to hear about. And so here's what I want us to do. Before we get started into the Word, I want to take a moment for us to pray and actually ask Him to help us hear what He would say to us today, right? Because I think all of us would say, Worry is way too much a normal part of our life. Let, let's see what God would say to us. So would you join me in praying? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And, and would you just ask him, uh, would you ask him to make this time helpful for all of us? Would you ask him to prepare your heart to hear whatever it is he would tell you today? And would you also ask him to help me teach? Uh, Father, we need you. We need you all the time in everything. Even in, even in our strongest moments, God, we need you. And we're not ashamed to say that over and over and over again. We, we really, really need you. Uh, God, we also believe that you're really kind and you want to help and you actually are next to us. So God... Not only do we need you, but really that you're good and you're here and you're present. And so, God, we're asking, we're asking that you would help all of us to hear what you would say to us through your word this morning. And, God, I'm asking you to help me teach so that it would be about what you would say and not what I would say. God, guard my words and my thinking and help me to preach clearly and powerfully your truth and nothing else. I pray you would bless this time, and I pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, so you can open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. And let me review as you're flipping over there where we've been, because we've been in Philippians for a long time now. Here's where we've been so far in Philippians. Uh, Paul is sitting in a Roman prison cell, and he's, uh, he's there because he's a Christian. And this church in Philippi sent money and a person to help serve Paul while he was in prison. And while that person was there, his name was Epaphroditus, he shared with Paul how the church in Philippi was doing, and he showed the the church is struggling with persecution and pressure. And also not on top of that, just persecution and pressure. They're actually fighting amongst themselves. And so Paul writes this letter to the people in Philippi to encourage them that Jesus is better than all the things they'll go through in persecution and that Jesus actually unites them. And that's what we've been looking at. And we're at the end of the book of Philippians. And so we're in his kind of closing commands where he's kind of given his, his old man list of random wisdom facts that he just wants to throw down. And today we're in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, and we're just going to read the first part of verse 6. He says this, do not be anxious about anything. Let me read that again in case you missed it because it was long. Do not be anxious about anything. Listen, I can't think of some words that, that at this time feel like they're so audacious to me. I, that word anxious in the Greek, it, it actually uh, it refers to the cares of life. One Greek dictionary, I'm going to put the definition up here for you. Uh, he summarized what all Greek thinking in that time was talking about when it came to this word uh, for anxiety. And, and here's what he said that word means. It's the cares of life that disturb sleep from which refuge is sought in love or drink and which only death can end. That's the Greek view of anxiety and worry. It's, it's the cares of life that disturb sleep. Anybody experience that? 
not a new thing at all. Like they, we've, been, we've been losing sleep over the things we struggle with as human beings for thousands and thousands of years. So if you're losing sleep, welcome to the club of humanity. And it's also the thing that what we do with anxieties, we, we cope with it in several different ways. Sometimes we try to distract ourselves with all sorts of pleasure. Like, you know what? You're so weighed down, you're worried that the thing you try to do to deal with your anxiety and worry is to distract yourself. It's almost like, I just don't want to think about that anymore. Give me all of this fun stuff or whatever it is. Or, or maybe the issue for you, for you isn't distraction. Maybe you self-medicate. Like, you self-medicate with substances or alcohol or whatever it is, the million things that you would self-medicate yourself with. You, you actually get yourself wrapped up in some really dangerous things because you just don't, you want to deal with anxiety by self-medicating yourself. Listen, I just want to give a quick warning for that stuff. You, you need to be very careful about self-medicating any struggles that you're having. We don't need to distract ourselves we don't need to self-medicate ourselves. What we need to do is deal with the real issues instead of ignoring them or avoiding them. We don't need just to pretend like we're not anxious or drown out our sorrows in anything. And as we're talking about that, here's the frustrating thing for me about worry. Uh, worrying doesn't actually do anything to help me solve the problem that I'm worrying about. Right? Have you noticed that? Like, uh, like, I'll be up at 2 or 3 a.m. worrying about a problem. And do you know what's not happening at 2 to 3 a.m. when I'm up worrying? I'm not doing a thing to handle the problem that I'm worried about. There has never been a time in my life, there's never been a, a problem in the history of the world where people got together and said, we got to solve this huge problem. And I think I know the answer. The answer is we haven't worried about this enough. We're going to break. We're going to go by ourselves. We're going to spend hours worrying. And when we come back, that worry should have fixed the problem. Listen, I've never worried a problem away. It's useless when it comes to actually fixing things. It, it actually makes things work. I spend all this time worrying, and I lose sleep, and I have anxiety. It actually doesn't fix the problem. It just makes me worse. Corey Ten Boom, if you know who she is, uh, she said this about worry. Worry does not empty tomorrow of sorrow. It empties today of strength. Let me read that again. Worry does not empty tomorrow of sorrow. It empties today of strength. So how true is that? Worry does not fix anything. It just sucks the joy out of me today. And somehow I keep coming back to it. Over and over and over again, I come back to worry and anxiety over my problems. And it's not just that I come back to it. It's, it's that once I start down the path of worry, do you know what happens to me? It becomes the only thing that I start to think about, right? Like, like those 2 a.m. wake-up calls. And I don't know why it's always 2 or 3 a.m., uh, and that's just, apparently my kids trained me in that when they were babies. You're going to be awake at 3 a.m. And I just miss it so much that now I'll wake myself up with worry and anxiety like a crying baby. But, but what happens in your brain when there's worry that's happening, right? You might try to distract yourself for a moment, but the more you dwell on the thing that you're worried about in worry, it begins to consume more and more and more of your thoughts. Listen, this other author said this. Anxiety is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. And if encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. 
right? Like you've got this little worry that's coming through your mind. And if you keep encouraging it, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually there's this huge black hole in your mind and in your heart and in your feelings. And it's consuming everything. Because I got to be honest, I, I hate worry. And when Paul says, don't worry about anything, I think, man, that would be nice. How awesome. I don't know if I've, I, I may have met a person that didn't worry about anything. And to this day, I cannot figure out if they were the most irresponsible human being I ever met in my life or they were just faking. Like, but, but to not worry about anything, when Paul writes that, it blows my mind. Let me just tell you, Jesus actually had a lot to say about worry. Let me show you some of the stuff that Jesus said about worry. Look at Matthew uh, chapter 6. I went to chapter 5 there. Matthew chapter 6. Let me read some of the stuff to you that Jesus said about worry. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, he says this. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not the life... Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Like he said, don't worry about your clothes and eating. Like, don't worry about the essentials of life. <laughs> like, okay, uh, your life is more than food and the body, more than clothing. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not of more value than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Look at verse 31. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Listen, Jesus said a lot in those verses, but he kept saying it over and over and over again. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Don't don't live like that. And he kept talking about who God is and how God provides and things like that. And so I'm going to flip back to Paul's statement. Like when Paul's saying, don't be anxious about anything, he's saying something real similar to what Jesus has already said on the Sermon on the Mount. And I take it from this that God does not want you and me to be, have our lives filled with anxiety and worry. It's easier said than done though, right? Like it, it feels unstoppable. Like I, it doesn't matter how many times I tell myself, God said, don't worry. And here I am over and over and over again, worrying with anxiety about the smallest and dumbest things. So Paul's about to tell us how we're, not, how we're supposed to deal with anxiety, how, we, how we're supposed to not worry. But let me ask you this question. I want you to think about this. What's your strategy for dealing with worry and anxiety right now? Like, and don't go all churchy on me yet, okay? We'll, we'll get to go churchy in a minute. Paul will do that. Don't pretend that your, your thing is reading the Bible more. Maybe that is. That's awesome. But, but what's our real strategy for dealing with anxiety and worry? I, I can tell you the common ones. Uh, and I'm not saying these are bad, but let's talk about some of these things. For some of us, it's exercise. When your anxiety hits a certain level, the solution is you need to go work out and exercise. You need to blow off some steam. That's good. That's not a bad one. For other people, it's vacation. 
Listen, like what happens is when it builds up to a certain point, I just, I got to get away. I got to cash in on vacation. No work, no stress. I'm going to the beach. I'm putting my, I'm putting my chair in the sand and the water and just sitting there loving life, eating chips and salsa, watching the waves come in. Or maybe that's an awful thing for you for vacation. I don't know what you all do for vacation. Um, but, but listen, it's, it's, sometimes it's vacation. I just, I just need a break. Sometimes it's just a day off. Maybe it's the weekend. It's like I just got to get to the weekend. Or maybe it's a hobby. I'm doing a hobby to deal with all this anxiety. And listen, those are all great things. And, and for some of you, it's even more than that. You know, some stati- statistics say that 30% of Americans actually are diagnosed with clinical anxiety. So for some of you, what you need to do to deal with anxiety is there's actually counseling and medication involved. And listen, I don't want to disregard any of those things, but none of those are Paul's answer. Now, now do not hear what I'm not about to say. I'm not telling you not to take vacation. I'm not telling you not to exercise or not to have a hobby. I'm, t- I'm not telling you not to go to counseling and not to get medication. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying those are all good strategies, but none of those are the ultimate strategy. There's, there's another tool that Jesus has given us that Paul wants us to use. It's the big dog when it comes to dealing with anxiety and strategy. And for many of us, it's not even on the radar. So what I want to tell you is, yeah, keep doing all the things that you're doing, but do Paul's solution even more than what you're doing those other things. Here's the example I would give of that. Like right now, my van, I need to change some tires on it because I, apparently I have an alignment issue. Uh, Ladies, if you don't know what, or if you're not a car person, I don't know why I said ladies. That was bad. My wife will talk to me about that later. If you're not a car person, you don't know what I'm talking about. Let me tell you what happened. My wheels are out of whack. All right, they're not lined up quite right, and so that means that they've they have not wore evenly. So my front tires are looking all jacked up. I don't have to go get new tires, and you can tell they're not wore evenly. Now let me tell you what I could do. I could just keep keeping the air pressure right and keep rotating the tires. I could even get new tires, but if I don't get the tires aligned, it doesn't matter how much I rotate and fill the tires with air. At some point, I'm going to burn through tires way too quick because I need to get my tires aligned. That's what I'm talking about right now. You can do all the counseling and all the exercise and all the vacation, fill the tires with air, rotate them, all that other stuff, but we need to get our tires aligned so they're heading in the right direction, okay? I don't know. That doesn't make sense. I don't have another illustration. It's all I've got. So if you're not a car person, I apologize. And also, I'm not a car person. I just know my tires need changing, all right? So moving on before someone comes and asks me, like you would come and ask me a mechanic question. Anyways, let's look at what Paul's solution here is in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Now, remember, I'm not saying not to do the other things. I'm saying this is the ultimate tool in your toolbox. Listen to his answer. We'll read Philippians 4, verse 6 again. He says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, so listen to what he just said. Instead of worrying, pray. He just said, listen, you don't need to worry about anything. Don't worry about everything. Pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. That's Paul's solution. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, oh, okay, great. All right. Listen, thank you. Thank you for that, Paul. I appreciate that Christian pie in the sky, spiritual, just go pray and all your problems go away. 
Um, I just want you to hold on. I want you to hear Paul out. I want you to see what this passage is saying. I don't want you to dismiss this because we have the wrong ideas of prayer. Like sometimes I think we have these wrong ideas of prayer that what we have to do is we just have to pray and go through this action almost like this mindless trance. Like I empty my mind and all of a sudden Jesus just gives me peace. No, that's, that's not Christian prayer and meditation. You're not emptying your mind when you pray. You're filling it. All right, you're not just going through this thing. It's not going just through a list of prayer requests. Like, here's one, here's two, here's three. Jesus, why don't I have peace? Okay, here's, here's four, here's five, here's six. No, it's not just that. It's also not an imaginary conversation with yourself. That you're on your knees in your room having an imaginary conversation in your mind with your pretend friend. All right, that, that is not at all what Paul is saying prayer is. Pa- Paul is saying prayer is this powerful and dynamic thing that actually impacts how you feel and think. Prayer is strong and powerful. And here's how he describes it. He actually uses four different words in verse 6 for prayer. You see them there in the English. One of them is, he says the word prayer. He also says supplication. He says thanksgiving. He says make your request known. Four different words, prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, and request. Now, let me just tell you what those four words are. The first word, prayer, it's just a simple word for calling on God. The the, the idea is that you're speaking to God, not to yourself, that you're actually calling out to a real, living, strong person. All right? It's prayer. It's just simply talking with God. You're saying, God, I need you. Hey, God, I I need to talk. The second word is supplication. It says, make you, with prayer, I just lost my place. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, the word supplication is basically this. It means that you're asking, that, that you have a need, that I'm a needy person and I'm asking for you to take care of my need. So when you show up and talk to God, you're saying, God, I'm, I'm calling to talk to you and I gotta be honest, I'm needy and I need help and you're the answer that I'm coming to. But it's not just asking prayer requests and saying, I'm needy, I'm needy, I'm needy, I'm needy. It's also doing it with thanksgiving. So so. This flow of thought is this. It's this idea that, listen, I, I'm, God, I'm calling out to you and I'm needy, but there's some moment in this conversation where I, I'm not just focusing on my needs, that my attention shifts to who God is and what he does. That word thanksgiving is actually closely related to joy, which is a main theme in the book of Philippians. If you've been here for the last six months, you know that Philippians is jam-packed with joy, joy, joy. So I would say it this way. He's saying, listen, don't be anxious, but take everything to God in prayer. Tell him your needs with joyful thanksgiving. Like you're looking and saying, God, I just, I know you're strong and you're good and you're, you're big. I, I know who you are and I know what you've done. And then at the end of it, you make your request known to him. This is simply that you have a desire. It's different from supplication. Supplication is being needy. This word right here, request, is you're being very specific. Here's what I want you to do. Will you do that? So here's how Paul would be saying it. Don't worry about stuff. Instead of worrying, call on God for everything and ask for help with happy thanksgiving, letting God know exactly what you want. That's what he's saying right there. Saying, listen, don't get wrapped up in worry. Instead of being anxious, take everything to God. That word everything, take all of it. All the big things, all the small things, all the pressing things, the urgent things, the heavy things, the things that scare the snot out of you. Take everything to God. He doesn't say don't sweat the small stuff. 
He says all of it, big, small, medium, insignificant, whatever you want to take to him, you take everything to God in prayer. If, in other words, if your boss is being a jerk or your kids are acting like lunatics or whatever it is, you're having trouble at school, listen, you take all of it to God in prayer. And you get into the habit of constantly going to God with everything over and over and over. And you also get in the habit of saying, God, I need you. I'm needy and I'm weak. Over and over and over again, I'm going to God and saying, God, I'm just struggling here. So if it's your boss that's a real jerk, or I don't know why I always go to a jerky boss. That's just, it's a fun illustration. So if, you're, if your boss is a jerk and you're struggling with it and you're there at work and your boss comes in and I don't even know, I, I need those TP reports on Thursday or whatever it is. I'm like, you just had last four of them. He's asking for these reports over and over and over again, and it's never good enough, no matter how much you do. And he blames you when he's the one that messed it up. And you're starting to feel anxiety about going to work every single day and dealing with him over and over and over again. You've got this fear that your boss is going to cause you to get fired. And then, man, the dominoes really flick at that moment, right? Like, if I get fired, Man, now I've got to deal with this jerk of a boss, and now it messes up my resume, and now I've got to find a job, and now I've got income that I've lost, and now my reputation is ruined. I'm not going to get a good reference, and then it just becomes a horrible tornado. He says, listen, you just go to God. Say, God, I, I know you're real, and I know you're present, and I need you. My boss is a jerk. You're allowed to say that in prayer, okay? Or at least I think he's a jerk. Listen what he's doing, God. He's doing all this stuff to me. And I can't fix it on my own. There's this recognition in prayer that here's what you're saying. God, you're really, really strong. You're big and you're huge and I am not. I I need you. I I don't want to pretend like I can fix this on my own. My plans won't fix what needs fixing. I need you in the middle of all this stuff. That's what I need, God. I know that, you're, that I'm weak and that, I, that you're strong, but then those two truths begin to merge. And here's what you begin to believe. Not only is God big and strong and I am weak and needy, but God is so big and so strong that he can even make me strong. Like I'm depending on him to enable me to have all the wisdom that I need and the strength that I need to actually deal with the situation at hand. That is totally different than a person that says, I'm strong, I'm capable, I can do this all by myself. The Christian version is, I am not strong and I am not capable. I am weak and needy, but he is so strong and he is so stinking strong that he can even use stupid me to handle things. Or he can use someone else that's stupid to handle it. I don't know. The dumber boss above that boss. I don't, it just goes up like that. That's kind of, it's always a dumb boss, apparently. Right, so so this prayer that Paul is talking about, it's this thing of coming to God who's strong and big and capable and recognizing that I am not on my own. I am not strong and big and capable. I'm weak and I'm needy. And then I shift my focus to this God who's wise and strong. So I begin to shift into thanksgiving. Like, here's what that would look like. And this is an important part of it, because if all you do is go to God and say, God, I need you, you're strong, I'm weak, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. Like it, there's, there's, a, there's a dysfunction there. Like he becomes Santa Claus for us, or a genie that we rub the lamp 
Like I just go to him, I put the quarters in a prayer, I turn the knob, and boom, out comes my new car. Boom, out comes my new boss. Boom, out comes my new marriage. Boom, 50 more cents, turn the thing, out comes my new whatever it is. He's, it's really fun. It's just like writing a list of Santa and being really good. I give him the list, and boom, good things happen. That is not what's happening here. There's this shift that happens. Like in the middle of your anxiety and worries, you're responding by saying, God, I, I need you. I need you to help. I'm worried about this. I don't want to be worried. Uh, I need to go to you. And at some point, you shift your mind from thinking about what the problem is and what you need, and you begin to think about who you're talking to. That's where the thanksgiving comes in. You're going to say, God, I know you're big. I know you're wise. I know you care about this. Like, I know all that stuff. And so, God, you've always come through for me. You see my boss. I mean, you see everything. You see where I've messed up, and you're still kind and gracious. God, I just, you see, you see that shift there that all of a sudden your heart gets off of you and what you're going to do. It gets off of your problem, and it gets on to God. And you begin to stand in awe of who he is and what he does, and joy and praise well up because you're praising God in the middle of your awful, stressful situation. And then you let him know what you want. Now, now listen, I've been hinting around at this, but I believe there's actually four beliefs that are happening underneath inside prayer. And I want to walk you through these, these four beliefs that, that I want you to work through whenever you're struggling with anxiety and you're praying to God. The first thing is this. You must believe that God is strong, that he can actually do something about the problem. You've got to believe that God is strong. Second, you need to believe that God is kind, that he's gracious. In other words, he's not mad at you for being needy and weak. He actually loves to be your savior. So he's strong and he's kind. You also believe that God is fatherly. Like I think sometimes like we forget that he's inclined towards us. He's leaning towards you and me with smile, with a smile and with favor. He's saying, listen, I'm like your dad. Like just, I'm strong, I'm kind, I'm not mad at you for being weak, and I'm like a dad, a good dad, not a bad dad, a really good dad, better than, better than any dad you can ever imagine. I'm a really good dad, and when you walk in the room, I lean towards you, I'm smiling, and I have favor. I'm, I'm fatherly. You need to believe that God is strong, that he's kind, that he's fatherly. You also need to believe that God is smart or wise. In other words, he knows what he's doing, and he actually knows more than me. The reason that one is important is because if he doesn't answer it the way I want, I still need to come back to the truth that he's smarter than me and he knows what he's doing. So when my kids come to me and they say, Dad, I want ice cream for dinner. Like, it's all cute and everything. But we, we can't do ice cream for dinner every night. We can't do ice cream for dinner any night. Maybe one night in the future, I'll let you do ice cream for dinner. But that's not going to be your dinner. We're not doing ice cream for dinner. No matter how many strawberries and bananas you put on it, we're not doing ice cream as your dinner. And doesn't change the fact that I love my kids and that I'm strong enough to give my kids ice cream and that I want to be a fatherly person that says yes to their request. It just means I have something better in mind for them than ice cream. And I need them to trust that I'm wiser and smarter than them, even when I say, no, I've got something better planned here. You may not see it, and you may not like the bro broccoli, but your body needs the broccoli, right? So when, you, when we're encountering anxiety and we come to God with prayer, it's these four beliefs I want us to think through. So let me walk through those beliefs, and I'm going to use the bad boss as an example. 
I'm going to ask those questions about God's belief kind of in reverse. So when you come to a problem of anxiety and your boss is being a jerk and you get to that moment of thanksgiving where you're wrestling with this, here's the questions I want you to ask. Do I believe that God is strong enough to do this? Or do I believe that it's all on my shoulders and my shoulders alone? Right? Maybe sometimes the reason we struggle with anxiety is we either don't believe God's big enough or we think it's all up to us. That causes anxiety, right? Especially when so much is out of your real control. When you really think about it, what change can you actually really and honestly impact all on your own? You can't change hearts. You can't change attitudes. Listen, you think you can make your kids awesome all by yourself? You can go all the counseling and get all the parenting tricks and things that you want. And I'm sure those are helpful. They are helpful. I, I've gotten the counseling and read the book. They're helpful. But they can't change my kid's heart. In the end, there's something that I can't do. And if it's all on my shoulders, just me and me alone, and I'm going to lose a lot of sleep over my kids. I'm probably going to lose a lot of sleep over my kids anyways. But it sure would be a lot easier for me to lose sleep and say, God, I just... I need you to do this. I, I cannot fill the gap of what my kids need. I'm not strong enough. Man, that, that feels like that could relieve some anxiety for me if I'm saying, God, it's on you, man. And I'm going to be involved. I'm going to take responsibility. But I'm asking, and I, I'm expecting you to be strong enough through me. But I need you to show up and do what I cannot ultimately do. Man, you think about it with your boss. Listen, you can't change your boss's heart. And if you go to your boss's boss, now you got a whole mess on your hands. Right? Gotta, it's not all on me. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to work as hard as I can. I'm asking you to help me perform well. But I need you to do something about my boss that I cannot do. Man, that, that might relieve some anxiety if I, I begin to ask the question, do I actually believe that God is strong enough or is it all on me? The other one wasn't just that um, God is strong enough. The other one was God is kind. Do, do I believe that God is actually kind? Do I actually think that when I go to talk to him about it, he's not looking at me going, good grief, Fias. If you would have gotten that TP report done last week instead of taking the extra long lunch break, you wouldn't be in this mess. I don't know what a TP report, TP report is. We're just sticking with uh, missing toilet paper from coronavirus 2020, right? Like, if you would have gotten that report done you, last week, worked extra last week, you wouldn't have the stress this week. This is your fault. You didn't plan enough in advance. I wish you would stop being so stupid all the time. I'm not helping. Is that his stance towards me? Is he saying, you know what, I just, I'm kind of busy, Fias. Like, sustaining the world and the universe and dealing with global elections and a global pandemic. Like, hey, uh, I don't have time for your boss or your stupid TP report. Like, I'm kind of a big deal. Is he, is he that? Or is he kind? Does he actually want to help? Do I believe that he cares and is kind? Or do I think that he's mean and distant and removed? Listen, maybe for some of us, the, the anxiety happens is, we just don't believe he's that kind. And my anxiety wells up because the fear I've got is, yeah, God is big and strong, but he doesn't like me. Or maybe I don't believe that he's fatherly. Maybe he's kind, 
but like kind in like a distant sort of way, but like a father that he's just like, man, I love helping my kids with stuff. I, I wish I loved helping my kids more. I lose my patience all the time. This is convicting for me. But, but, but maybe the problem is that I don't believe that God is really fatherly. Like fatherly, that he actually wants to be with me and walk with me and help me with my problem. So my anxiety wells up because I'm all alone. He's big and he's strong and he's kind, but not to me. He's not a dad to me. He's like my boss. He's a nice boss, but he's not going to help me. I'm, I'm alone on this one. And he's indifferent to my pain. Or maybe I don't believe that God is actually wiser than me. Like maybe the anxiety wells up because God is sending you down a path that you don't want to go down. You're saying, God, I don't like that. That's not going to be fun. That's not going to be pleasant. I don't want the broccoli. I've already made this clear. I want the ice cream for dinner. Maybe I don't believe that he's actually wiser than me, and he knows that what I need is to go down that path and eat the broccoli, not the ice cream. Do you believe he's wiser? Listen, I believe if we pray like this, and we walk through these questions, I believe what happens is what we read in verse 7. Look at verse 7. If instead of worrying, we go to God in prayer, believing he's strong and kind and fatherly and wise, if we do that, it says this, and the peace of God, and I think this means the peace that's God's peace, that God is up in heaven. He's not anxious. He's not worried. God is fully and 100% completely at peace. He's just chilling, man. He's up in heaven. Listen, He's not sweating the upcoming election. Did y'all know that? He's not anxious about it. He's, he's not nervous about global warming and nuclear warfare and coronavirus. He's not nervous about it. He's like, I got this. I've always got this. I've got it from the beginning to the end. I'm not nervous about it. Imagine that. That peace that he has, the peace of God, God's peace says this, which surpasses all understanding. I can't even grasp it. If I'll, if I'll stop worrying and go to him in prayer, trusting him, and that peace, he invites me into the peace that he's already experiencing. I get to join him, sit next to him, chill, and be like, you got this? I don't have to worry about it. You got it? You're big. You're strong. You're competent. You're smart. Do your thing. It's not my thing. It's your thing. You're responsible for the world, not me. That peace says it will guard your hearts and minds. The Greek word for guard is setting up a guard. In other words, it says this, God's going to give you peace, and he's going to set up shop around you like a wall, like a fortress, like a security guard guarding your heart and your mind. Imagine the peace of God in Jesus. Imagine that. Imagine those truths guarding my mind when it's running a million miles an hour down worry. Imagine it guarding the anxiety and the fear that wells up in my heart. And I'm saying, man, God, I need you and the truth that you're big and you're strong and you're kind and you're fatherly and you're wise. I need that to guard my thinking and my feelings. And that, that actually sounds Christian to me. 
It's that, it's that, that's who God is. That's who Jesus is. That's how he helps us deal with anxiety. It's not a magical genie of prayer. It's prayer that's encountering the real and living, kind, strong, fatherly, wise, and gracious God who's on your side. Listen, so what am I, what am I calling you to do today? Listen, I want us to fight worry and anxiety with everything you've got. If you need to exercise because your brain won't stop fighting, exercise. Take the counseling. Do the medicine. Do all the other stuff like that. But do this more. More than all of those things. And as you're doing all those things, you pray and you encounter a real and living, kind, wise, strong God. And he'll guard you. It's not my promise. So I can stand up here and boldly say it. He will guard you. Not because I am saying it, because he said that he will do it. It doesn't make sense to me. It's his job, not mine. You struggle with worry and anxiety? Fight it by praying and encountering the real and living God. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Let me give you a moment to kind of respond we just kind of walk out. I know, I know we touch on a lot of things, and there's a lot when it comes to anxiety and worry. I, I just want to remind all of you, one of the things that might be hard is I'm talking about God being fatherly and kind. And Some of you, you've never experienced God as fatherly and kind and being for you. Listen, I want to tell you the good news. Maybe you've never trusted us. Let me just share it with you. Here's the good news of Jesus. The good news is that God looks at me and you in our broken, stubborn, rebellious state, the sin that we've done, the mistakes that we've made, the good that we haven't done. He looks at all that stuff, and he says, you know what, I love those people, despite how messed up they are. They're just jacked up. I love them. So much so that he sends his son Jesus to die on the cross for us, and he basically says this. Jesus died, took all my brokenness and sin and rebellion on him, all of it, fully and completely. Every last drop of it, he paid the full penalty. And he came back to life three days later. And He basically says this, listen, I, I'm for you. I'm for you not having anxiety and worry and letting me meet your needs. I'm for you being made new and clean. I'm for you being a son or a daughter, and I don't need you to perform to earn it. I did all of that for you. All I want for you to do is repent and ask me to save you. It just, it's that simple. Just believe that I paid the price that I'm for you and ask me to save you. Believe that I came back from the dead. It's, that is it, you guys. Listen, if you've never really placed your trust in Jesus in that way, I'm not saying did you pray a prayer. I'm saying did you place your trust in Jesus? Listen, I want to encourage you today, don't, don't leave here not being sure that he's for you. He's for you. He sent his son Jesus to die to prove that to all of us. Secondly, I, I want to speak to you who've never encountered the good news of Jesus. I want to speak to all of us here who struggle with anxiety and worry. Right there in your seat, here's what I want you to do. Whatever you feel anxious about, would you just call on him right there in your seat, tell him your need. Whatever it is, big, small, tell him how scary it is, 
how frustrated you are. If you've been trying to do it all on your own, will you just confess that you've been doing it independent of him? And say, God, forgive me for doing it on my own. I need you. Let's take a moment and turn that into thanksgiving. You've been, you just told him your need. Would you just spend a moment praising him for being strong? He's stronger than your problem. Tell him you know he's got this. You take a moment for telling him you know he's kind and fatherly. Tell him you know he cares about you and he cares about all your little problems. Take a moment to praise him for not being too busy for you and me. Praise him for not being irritated at you for your weakness and inability. Let's go back to that problem. Would you tell him what you want him to do? Ask him, say, God, here's what I want you to do. I trust you, but will you take care of spend a moment praising him for caring, listening, and working. Heavenly Father, uh, God, we all come to you. You see that we're all in different places. We, we have worries about different things, and the variety of cares is just too much to even imagine right now. But God, we know that you're big and you're strong. God, we know you're kind and you're fatherly. And God, we know that you're smarter and wiser than we are. God, would you, would you make us a people that as the worries and cares and anxieties of life begin to weigh us down, would you make us people that would constantly in everything run to you, call out to you? God, probably would be, would be a people that would praise you in the midst of it and that we would see your peace do what only your peace can do as it comes into our lives. God, make us those type of people. God, for everyone who here who's weighed down today, I pray we would feel a burden lifting as we give you our worries and concerns. God, I pray we would actually begin to experience and taste a peace, your peace, that, that guards our hearts and minds. God, show yourself real to us in this. And I pray it all in Jesus' name.